Hey guys, and welcome to Overtly Casual, the podcast brought to you by myself, Dak, and my brother, Ty. Yo, Ty, what's up? Not much, man. Just hanging out here, ready to record another episode and talk about the violence that happened at UFC 238. Yeah, man. So uh, I missed literally all of the fights. I, I saw a couple of the... Uh, of the highlights, I think I ended up watching the Cejudo one barely, um, but I was kind of I was hanging out. My neighbor had a cookout. We bought the fights, but we didn't actually watch the fights, which was slightly annoying, but still fun at the same time. You need that bro time, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it sucks that you missed this card. It was one of my favorite cards of all time, probably. I mean, every, every fight, which is weird to say because I missed the co-main and the main event, uh, I ended up having to watch replays and highlights from the Suhudos and Mraz and the uh, Shevchenko and Jessica I fight. But every other fight was crazy. I mean, this card was stacked from top to bottom. So for me, before we jump into it, um, probably going to give a quick fight of the night. I like that. Uh, I don't know if you've got the chance to watch the replay yet, but if you do, watch the Aljamain Sterling and the Pedro Munez fight. That was a freaking clinic. No, I didn't catch any of them, bro. <laughs> and if I did, it was partially. Yeah, Aljamain Sterling looked like – I mean, I don't know. I didn't see this comparison, which surprised me because he was throwing so many spinning elbows and spinning back fists and uh, throwing in that choppy little leg kick that John Jones uses – he, he looked a lot like John Jones out there. He's using his length really well and uh, being super creative out there. He kind of reminded me of John Jones. But Pedro Munez, it, I'm telling you, dude, from the beginning of the night to the end and the people that I was watching the fight with said the same thing. You really, like, every punch that was getting thrown was like a knockout punch, but everyone had a chin. Nobody was going down. I mean, I'm sure that you saw tweets about the Blagoy Ivanov and the Tai to Ivasa fight. I did watch that fight. Yes, I did catch that fight. Violence, dude. Those are two big ass men. There's gonna be they're gonna be they're gonna be in some pain for the next couple of weeks. The dudes that I was watching the fights with, they didn't understand that uh fucking Tai Tuivasa is a bad motherfucker. Now I've watched uh how do you pronounce his name? Blagoy? His first name? Yeah, Blagoy Ivanov. Um he, yeah, so they didn't understand that these two guys, you got two badass motherfuckers. Like they're and you know, you make your typical bro jokes. And like I you know, I'm not judging them. We are overtly casual here. Uh <laughs> on overtly casual. But uh like yeah, I was trying to get it into their heads that like these dudes are not throwing light punches. They're cracking each other. And if they hit you once, like if they were to hit any of us, we'd be fucking dead if we're lucky. You know, and uh, I did catch that fight. Uh, I do think that Blagoy he, he earned that decision. Um, Taito Ibasa just didn't work enough, but that's always a fun fight. I was actually pulling for Taito Ibasa. I call it down to the minute. I was like, uh, Tuivasa is going to finish him in the second round, first minute. And obviously I was wrong. Yeah, dude, that guy, uh, Taito Ibasa, he's going to be a star in the heavyweight division. I think for sure, like, they're building him to become like a – uh people's champ i guess but i mean he's got the skills to back it up too he was showing some impressive striking and takedown defense 
against the cage, like uh, the way that he was rolling off the punches. And I, I don't know, like they, there was really no significant grappling exchanges, which even Ob apparently is a stud uh, grappling. He has a Sambo background. And DC said that Blagoy caught him last week. Um, and he was alluding to the fact that Blagoy submitted DC and was like dominating him on the ground, apparently. So, but they're teammates. Yeah, Blagoy is a tough dude. Taisu Ivasa. So, the issue with Blagoy is he comes from the Eastern Bloc. You know, he's one of those dudes that if you see him, you assume that he's from Dagestan. He's not, but you assume he is, right? And so, he's hard to market. So as good of a fighter as he is, it's going to be hard for, you know, casual fans to really get into him. But I think he's going to make up for that that language barrier, that that culture barrier, more so than a language barrier. Because we've seen guys who barely speak English uh, transcend that. It's more of a culture barrier, right? Um, Tai Tuivasa is someone that he transcends all cultural boundaries, man. That dude, he's got the personality of a featherweight in the body of a heavyweight coupled with some legit skill. So I think, you know, if he rounds it out, he commits to more exchanges. He's going to be a monster. I don't know, dude. Um, I was surprised by after the fight, the massive amount of Bulgarian fans that were there for Blagoy Ivanov. Like when you're listening to the fights, the commentary kind of washes out the crowd noise, but the crowd was going crazy and the fan, uh, the camera was panning around and John Anik was talking about how many Bulgarian fans were there that week. And it seemed like there was a ton of them there. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's just a lot of Bulgarians in Chicago, but apparently he has a, a large fan base and they are interested in martial arts. So who, who knows? I mean, really, who knows? I don't really think he's that marketable of a guy anyways. He doesn't have a ton of personality or at least he doesn't commit. He kind of reminds you of like Fedor. But, um, yeah, he, he, he's tough as they come. But there was a lot of crazy fights on that card, like I said, from top to bottom. And, but I didn't get started, actually, until that Aljo fight with Pedro Munez. So I can't really talk too much about anything until after that. But one that I did catch a replay on was Calvin Katar and Ricardo Lamas. And I've been watching Calvin Katar for about two years now, and I'm probably butchering his name. But that guy, he, I'm pretty sure he's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and he's got hands. And he knocked Ricardo Lamas out. So, he's got, I think he's going to be something to contend with in featherweight. Yeah, it's one of the more stacked divisions. I think that, you know, the the roster that the UFC has currently, you know, you have 600 uh, exciting fighters. Not all of them, but 600 exciting fighters. And it's a deep roster that has a lot of potential. Um, as excited as I am for the actual fighters and the fights to come, I am far less excited for the actual uh, how ESPN and the UFC have handled uh, people purchasing the fights. That was one thing I noticed this weekend is there was a room full of guys who are legit. There was a couple dudes who are legit fight fans who have watched every UFC event for the last decade. Um, more fight fans than I, you know, than I've been, right? Um, like, they were talking about how they haven't watched a card since it became incredibly difficult to purchase it. Here's how hard these guys perceive. It's actually pretty easy, 
right? But it's more than the casual fan is willing to commit. It's more than some dedicated fans are willing to commit um, because we were at my neighbor. He's two doors down. Uh, we were having a cookout at his house. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's so easy to buy the fights. Like, I'll just log in, like, just download the ESPN app. I'll log into my ESPN Plus account. We did that. And then the TV provider bullshit. I realized that I pay $40 a month just for a TV provider so that I can order a pay-per-view, you know? So unless you already have these accounts, like these guys, they don't do that. They run straight off of streaming accounts. So, I, you know, it was easier for me to walk back to my house. They have the Xbox. Easier for me to walk back to my house, unplug my PlayStation from everything, and take it over to their house, plug in my PlayStation, connect to their Wi-Fi, and bring the fights up on my PlayStation than it was for them to just purchase the fights. And I think that's a serious problem that ESPN and the UFC need to address because you're seeing a drop in viewership and a real, I don't know, man, it's just, it, it's kind of turning people off to actually purchasing it when you can just log into a laptop and, you know, stream that shit. I don't do that, but some people do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when the stream quality is kind of diminished on ESPN Plus too, but I was at a friend's house this weekend and he had like the surround sound set up and stuff. And I will say when you go through, when you go through ESPN plus the production is like perfect. It's flawless, but there are a ton of problems, but I think that they're going to figure that out as they go. Uh, it's a fairly new service subscription services for fights. It, it's kind of an innovative thing. Um, besides like the zone, I think is doing a good job with it, but they're still trying to navigate how they're going to actually make money off of the fights, but be able to like provide all of the good content to the fans. But yeah, it was super complicated because we, uh, the guys who, the guy whose house I was at had ESPN plus, but we couldn't even watch the, the prelims. Damn, man. Do you like, do you think maybe there was an uptick in people that legally watch the fights via the ESPN plus app and the ESPN plus pay-per-view? solely because uh, Brennan Schaub got the Reddit stream shut down? Uh, no, because I can... There's other ways, right? Yeah, yeah, checks. absolutely. Yeah. Not trying to be Schaub's on here, but yeah, checks. There's other ways. Um, I know that people on MMA Twitter were <laughs> like roasting him super hard because he buddy-fucked uh, that Reddit stream, which the Reddit stream had great... Like, it was legitimate... Like, I think people build in foreign countries have legitimate businesses built off of a, a legal stream. Oh, absolutely, dude. Because, like, the way that it works is there's a PayPal donation area. And, I mean, you know, instead of doing a subscription service, like, let me just drop this dude two or three bucks for, for showing the fights and providing a good quality stream. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's definitely a need there. And, you know, just going apparently these people have thousands and thousands of followers. So you got to think if they're making thousands and thousands of dollars off each card, to me, it just surprises me that the UFC doesn't have like social media interns and shit in there, like looking for these illegal streams that, that kind of shocks me that they don't have people uh, out there looking for these things, but yeah, everything's going to streaming. So, and the UFC realized that they probably notice like, damn, we're losing a lot of pay-per-view buys to these illegal streams. How are we going to compete with that? Well, we can create an affordable streaming service, but I don't think that they've quite figured out the affordable part yet. But I mean, I, I trust it. it. I trust they will. 
Yeah, it's going to be a rough transition. What I do like about the ES the ESPN deal is you have guys like Stephen A. Smith, guys uh, that are mainstays on SportsCenter and ESPN that are um, now when they're talking about the same way when we launched this podcast, we actually launched this podcast the same weekend, I believe the first ESPN card debuted. And I'm as excited for the production quality that ESPN brings and the notoriety that ESPN brings uh, today than I was back then. And if they can keep capitalizing on that, keep putting LeBron James next to uh, Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier, uh, you know, the the here and there Conor McGregor tabloids, like keep putting that shit out there, you know, keep putting um, these UFC athletes next to um, athletes like Tom Brady that we've, you know, we've put our trust in over the years that these guys are guys you need to follow. And I think the fight game brings a type of human um, that, you know, not necessarily that the NFL or that the NBA or NHL haven't brought, but they're bringing such a focused, you know, a focused group of humans, you know? Yeah. And um, you really hit on like them bringing in talent and analysts and uh, I don't think that they specialize in MMA. I've seen them say some total bullshit on the internet, but yeah. but it doesn't matter though. It, it sometimes I think if you understand marketing and how to create buzz, it doesn't always have to be uh, in a good way. So Stephen and A. Smith going on there and creating buzz around Andy Ruiz uh, beating up on Anthony Joshua. That there may be a motive for that. I mean. Stephen A. Smith knows sports. I'm not going to say that he knows combat sports, but he's not a total dumbass, and he's a pretty well-researched person. So a lot of these things have a motive behind it, and it's it's just to grow the sport. I mean, that's why Dana White isn't out here trying to fight with reporters or other people whenever they uh, report bullshit or defame these fighters or say bad things about them. Really, all that it's doing is creating buzz, which is a good thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, I think it's such a person. It's a personalized level of interaction because um, you have Stephen A. Smith, who's talking about Anthony Joshua and calling uh, Andy Ruiz butterbean, right? But as ridiculous as that take is, how much more ridiculous is that than things he said about NBA, NFL players, right? NHL players. It's not that much more ridiculous than things you've said before, but since it's such a small roster compared to the franchise that is the NFL or the franchise that is the NBA, it's such a small roster of individuals that you're like, Hey man, or, or, and that's not MMA, that's boxing, but it's, it's such a small community combat sports as a whole that you're looking at and you're like, Hey man, you know, that guy could literally do whatever he wants with you. Right. Whereas, you know, it's just much more personal because it's a smaller community. I think overall, while it is probably the worst take in combat sports of the last two weeks, uh, it is still healthy for the sport. So I welcome I welcome his insane criticism and his character because that's what sells, man. Stephen A. Smith sells. And if he's talking about combat sports, combat sports is doing good, you know? Yeah, absolutely, and that's why you don't see the big wigs like Stephen A. Smith is a dork. He needs to get out of combat sports and not talk about it, dude. There's a motive here. Trust me. ESPN is using his platform to elevate their brand, and their brand has an investment in the UFC. So, you know, building combat sports is building the UFC. So, yeah, you know. if I'm an executive, I want 
I want Stephen A. Smith giving those takes so that our like the legit fans out there can come out and make intellectual uh, arguments as to why what he said is wrong. Because now you have Anthony, you have the whole the whole spectrum of fan is getting involved. You have casuals that are like, man, that is obviously wrong. And then you have experienced guys who are like, dude, here's why that's wrong. Right. And then the casuals are learning from the experienced guys and the experienced guys are getting new takes from the casuals. And it's just a good thing to have, like, you need a healthy bit of, of dudes just talking shit that shows that your community, that your franchise, that your business is growing. If you have dissenters, that means somebody is willing to dissent. Like they're willing to come out and speak against what you're putting out. Right. Like, Anthony Joshua is going to have people talking shit either way. And now this multiple title wearing Andrew Ruiz is going to have people talking shit either way. I'll tell you right now, Stephen A. Smith wouldn't have given Andy Ruiz the light of day two years ago, right? Or a year ago. You know, what's crazy about that is what people don't understand is these big name journalists, they operate on a very controlled platform. So you know, Stephen A. Smith may be a combat sports fan. I'm not going to say for sure whether he is or whether he isn't. But ESPN doesn't want him to facilitate a platform that's not profitable for them. So, for example, ESPN is competing with Fox. Uh, and if the UFC is affiliated with Fox, they don't want Stephen A. Smith giving uh, any type of publicity to combat sports, in particular the UFC, Um so it's one of those things. It just shows that ESPN is invested in it, and people take these personal platforms way too serious. Do you really think that Stephen A. Smith is solely going onto Twitter to share? And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but do you think that he's going onto Twitter just to share his personal opinion for shits and gigs, just to see what you guys are saying on there and interact with you? No, he works for ESPN, one of the biggest sports media outlets in the world. They are paying him for his contributions. Yeah, man, I'm sure it's coordinated. Um, it takes, you know, a higher level of, uh, of not necessarily a higher level, but a deeper level of, of understanding of how this new system works. Because it is new, man. You went from the rudimentary spike, which was like, you know, it, it was a it was kind of like the WWE. They they marketed it like the WWE. And then you go to Fox where it's more professional. You don't have the personalities maybe like Stephen A. Smith on Fox. And then you graduate from from Fox, which proliferately pl- proliferated your platform. And now you're at ESPN and you got to deal with Stephen A. Smith because you're going to grow, baby. Stephen A. Smith is good for the sport. He is good for combat sports. Um, and really, honestly, he's going to get a bunch of dudes into boxing that weren't into boxing because guys are going to watch like, you know, guys are going to watch that Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua fight solely because even if it's just a replay solely because Stephen A. Smith talks shit and then dudes are going to be like, oh man, this is actually exciting. And then they're going to be on YouTube and they're going to stumble off stumble across Wilder versus Brazil. And they're going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? Who is Wilder? And then they're going to stumble upon Wilder versus Fury. They're going to see Wilder in a crazy knockdown drag out fight with the crazy Cuban. And they're going to be like, oh shit, who the fuck is this dude? And then they're going to stumble across BT Sport, Brennan Schaub's podcast. Like, It really gets dudes involved that maybe would not have been involved. Yeah. Like, for, for example, 
for example, do you think that Justin Bieber would have? I literally ever, just saw that. I literally do, you, just saw it. do you think that Justin Bieber would have ever fucking entertained mentioning mentioning the octagon two years ago? Dude, that is fucking hilarious. I'm just curious. Okay. Like, did he watch a Scientology documentary and think, dude, dude, fuck Tom Cruise. I'm gonna beat his ass. Guess what? He's short. He's short. I, oh, I can take he's like, he's like, I can take him. I know how to throw an arm bar. I took, I took that boxing class one time. Fuck Tom Cruise. He's too, he's too good looking. He's been in too many action movies. I'm gonna fuck that guy up in the octagon. Dana White, make it happen. <laughs> he really said Dana, make it happen. Check this out. And Conor McGregor is in this too. Listen, oh cash mob, you're hearing it here first, okay? Um, Justin Bieber tweeted here recently. He said, I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you are scared and you will never live it down. Who's willing to put who's willing to put on the fight? At Dana White question mark. Like, was he adding Dana White two years ago? I don't know if he was, but I know that nobody knew if he was. Now, like, <laughs> dude, check this out. He's got a hundred, he's got a hundred million followers. A hundred million. A hundred million people just saw Justin Bieber challenge Tom Cruise, one of the biggest fucking superstars in all of Hollywood's history, to a fight in the octagon. Do you know what Conor McGregor tweeted to it? Yes, yes. Let me let me say this. If Tom Cruise is man <laughs> is man enough to accept this challenge, McGregor Sports and Entertainment will host this bout. Does Cruise have the sprouts to fight like he does in the movies? Stay tuned to find out. They're picking a fight with this man because he's a fake fighter in fucking films. <laughs> Why are they fucking with Tom Cruise? Leave him alone. Leave Not Tom this. alone. And then he said, I challenge Mark Wahlberg on this. <laughs> Very same card. Back when Mark Wahlberg was Marky Mark, I'd have still slapped the ears off him and took my USB shares back. And wait, oh, what is that? He he just um he just actually plugged his own the other streaming service, which is a competitor to the ESPN, the one that keeps signing all these big ass boxers. That's crazy. Yeah, man, he's he's making his mark. He's t- <laughs> to be. <laughs> to be uh, punny, he's making his mark, dude. He's challenging ESPN. He's challenging the UFC. He's like, what's up? Do you think that's a Golden Boy promotion? You think that'll end up on Golden Boy promotion next to Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz 4? Fuck no, dude. You're crazy. ESPN 100% or DAZN, one of them will buy, not buy, but buy into his service, dude. McGregor could facilitate some really big fights. Like, if you think about it this way, what if Conor McGregor took Dana White's job? The UFC might actually see some growth just off of that. That would be crazy. So for him to spearhead his own fighting league, which, I mean, I think competing against the UFC is kind of like trying to compete with Walmart. It's like almost hopeless because they have so much market share and different things like that. Unless you have like controversies like Fighter Union or, you know, like 1FC is competing because they – have more fighters' rights, and they don't have a big weight-cutting issue and stuff like that. But, I mean, that shit's crazy. It's just something to think about, you know? All right, dude. Serious question. Who wins in the octagon, Tom Cruise or Justin Bieber? Dude. Uh, fuck. That is actually a tough one because Tom Cruise, 
throughout his career, certainly, I'm, I've got to be positive on this one. He's accumulated some kind of fighting skills. You know he has. He has to. He's a Scientologist. He's a freak. He's paranoid about the world. Um, yeah, for sure. And he does all that crazy movie shit. So he has some sort of athleticism going on there. Um, he's short. He's low to the ground. Justin Bieber was a child star, so he's all fucked up mentally. I don't know. So he, he might have, like, that, that crazy mentality. That's a tough one. I'd probably have uh, – Tom Cruise with a TKO in, in the third round if it's a three-round bout. But if it's a five-round bout, then I have Tom Cruise with flying armbar in the fourth round. <laughs> what if I told you, dude, that Tom Cruise was an experienced wrestler in high school? Duh. Tom Cruise is going to dominate him, dude. He's going to maul his ass. But I have a bias. I was an inexperienced wrestler in high school, so – Dude, this guy, apparently, I'm reading his tem- teammates. And, guys, this is a live development during the recording of this podcast. We had no planned knowledge of this. I'm reading his high school teammates talking about him. And, uh, the, like, Tom Cruise actually attributes his acting success to his times as a wrestler in high school. Uh, one of his teammates said, I think wrestling gave him some focus and a way of dealing with his aggression. It says that Tom Cruise was a pinning machine. All right. I don't know if Justin Bieber wants to do that. I mean, I really don't think he wants to do that because Tom Cruise has got some serious aesthetics going on too. I mean, he's a he's a fit guy. He's got some age on him. He's got some salt and pepper. But um, I'm sure he still gets down with the get down and goes to the gym and shit like that. So Justin Bieber is probably on crack. Um, I don't know, really, honestly. He played a lot of sports, though, Tom Cruise did. Damn, dude, this is crazy. Look at this. One of his former wrestling teammates, and, you know, it's worth mentioning, he wrestled at 130 pounds, which is a fucking – that's a hard division to be in when you're in high school, man, because that's where all the talent is. Like, you get in the heavyweights and stuff like that, you get up to 170, 180. That's where your real killers are. But at 130 pounds, you're dealing with the dudes that are all technicality. They're all technical skills, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He's a beast. One of his teammates, one of his teammates said, uh, "My my father was a surgeon, took pictures of all of our matches, but he didn't really approve of Tom. He didn't think he'd come to me to come to anything. Stop," he said. Uh, "Stop hanging out with that guy. He's not doing anything with his life." This shit's wild, dude. That's crazy. We're gonna have to talk more about that. As Tom the, Bruce, as I'm gonna say it here. I'm gonna say it here. Dana won. Dana, make it happen. Two, Tom Cruise is going to wrestle fuck Justin Bieber to death. Hell yeah. Well, since this has uh, Tom Cruise versus Justin Bieber has quickly taken <laughs> over as the discussion, uh, fuck, fuck Henry Cejudo, the Olympic gold medalist and the Bantamweight and Flyweight champion. Fuck that guy. I mean, he, I mean, who is he anyways? Tom Cruise is taller than him, only by like two inches. But, um, yeah, fuck that guy. Let's talk about Tom Cruise versus Justin Bieber. That has just that has taken the entire time of this podcast, and I love it. And I want it to happen, and that's why I buy the pay-per-view, Dana. It's proof. But listen, Dana, make listen. it happen, and I'll subscribe on every – I will create different accounts for all of my smart TVs, all of my devices, my cell phone, my iPads, my TV, everything. I will create different subscription services. You will get seven pay-per-view guys – 
pay-per-view buys out of me alone. Make it happen, Dana. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, this shit is crazy. But as I've been on Twitter, uh, I told you I interacted with Eric Anders a little bit, the UFC fighter, um, former national champion. And he actually hit me up. He hit me back, and he wants to get on the podcast. So I'm going to set up a time, and our next MMA discussion will likely have Eric Anders once we figure out the logistics of how we're going to get him on here and uh, facilitate the podcast. So, hell, yeah, we're going to have one of the first UFC fighters come on to our podcast. Hell, yeah, dude. That's fucking exciting, man. Is there any way I could get an interview with his leg? Or is the leg still is the leg still in the hospital? You get it. You get it. <laughs> no, are, you, are you talking about Khalil Roundtree? Yeah, his last fight here recently. Oh, Eric dude, Anders, actually, there was a bunch of Twitter accounts that were created, and it's like Eric Anders' leg. And a week later, these Twitter accounts were tweeting like, "Yeah, feeling better, but you know, shit's still rough." <laughs> dude, Eric Anders is an absolute savage. I'm excited to talk to him. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. But uh, Khalil Roundtree, again, another stud. I want to get, I want to, you know, I want our MMA discussions to, we are overtly casual. Um, I want to have a little bit of professional dialogue with the people that are actually in the cage. Those are the people that I've told you before since hashtag fuck MMA Twitter. Uh, I really want to talk to the people that have been in the octagon and felt that. So, yeah, let's, uh, Let's make some plans on how we're going to chop this up with Eric Anders in the future. But again, uh, weird turn. We spent our whole podcast talking about fucking Tom Cruise and Justin Bieber. What is 2019 right now? Dude, it is what it is, you know? It is what it is. Let's, hey, let's, I think this is a great time to segue into um, a new portion of the podcast, a new segment, if you will that uh, we want to debut, which is the number one worst MMA take of the week. Uh, so this weekend, what was your worst take that you saw? Oh, dude, easily that Donald Cerrone tried to bitch out of a fight by blowing his nose. Yes, that was exactly what I was thinking, too. Again, guys, not pre-coordinated. But yes, dude, these guys that are getting on here and these these fucking dudes, these Anon Twitter accounts that are like, oh, Donald Cerrone, man, he's bitched out, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, come on, what are you saying? That's the worst MMA take of the week for sure. Boom, roasted. You suck. Actually, one of the guys that said it is a pretty fucking cool guy. Um, but, I mean, I think that he was more so just like – trying to objectively break down what happened there and figure it out. I'm a huge fan of Donald, so it's kind of hard to look at it without saying, like, oh, dude, Donald's running such a fucking savage. He'll fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. So I appreciate that kind of shit. But, yeah, definitely worst take of the week. Go back to the drawing board. Good try. Boom roasted. I'm, I'm going to pay El Kikui to punch them in the face 100 times. I haven't looked at the stats, but I'm assuming it was 100 times. I'm going to pay El Kikui to punch them in the face a hundred times and see if they have the conscious ability to blow their nose so that they can like, that's advanced thinking during combat sports. You know, he's living in survival mode. And if he is, he literally has to train. He has to train. Like if the fight isn't going his way in one round that he's going to blow his nose so he can rupture his sinuses, blow out his fucking eye. 
Like, what are you saying? Worst take of the week. But moving on, what's next for Cerrone? We know that they're going to run it back. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Yeah, Donald Baloney is uh, definitely going to need to run that one back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Probably – Oh, fuck. I broke this down for you earlier. I'm pretty sure the way that I saw it playing out is uh, DP loses to Habib. Habib fights Tony. Tony beats Habib for the strap. And that builds uh, while while all that plays out, Gaethje and Cerrone, I think, is the matchup to make. I think Cerrone defeats Gaethje to fight Tony for the belt. Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone, too, to kind of I guess, give us all the peace of mind to see who the true champ is there. Um, let's just take a beat out of the conversation because I think Tony's going to beat him. Yeah, man. I, a lot of people are up in arms about how this is robbing Tony of a title fight and shit like that. I really don't see it. Um, I think it's the right fight to make because you've got uh, Khabib and Poirier fighting in September. Um, so it's just timing-wise, it makes sense. Just run it back. Um, I think the same way you do that Tony's going to beat him again. As much as I want uh, Cowboy to win, I think Tony beats him again. El Kakui goes on to face the champion. Truth be told, I don't know how to break that fight down yet. Um, I know who I want to win. I want El Kakui to hold that strap. He might be the weirdest motherfucker in the UFC, you know, second only to uh, the champ champ that is uh, Henry Cejudo. But, yeah, I want I want to see him challenge for the strap, take the strap, and then give some consistency to the division. Even if Kakui loses that fight, and I'm not looking past Dustin, but I don't think he's going to beat Khabib. Even if Kakui loses that fight against Khabib, I think it still gives you some lineal consistency to that title, and uh, that's what the UFC rate needs right now if they're going to build another superstar around Khabib Nurmagomedov. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Yeah, man. But I know you have uh, work early in the morning, and uh, I have work at some point tomorrow whenever I choose to go in after I post this episode. But, uh, like, do any, yeah. Do you have any parting shots for the Ocash Mop? Uh, no, just get ready for a dope ass podcast with Eric Anders and definitely check out the last episode. A lot of good shit in there. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in. That's all I got. Yeah, we love you guys. Thanks for everything you do for us. This has been Overtly Casual, brought to you by myself, Dak, and my brother, Tyler. See Peace.